Turn in your Bibles with me, please, to James chapter 2. <laughs> James chapter 2. And as we go through this message, you will understand the reason for the, what you saw as you were coming on the parking lot and what you see here on the platform. And, and I would encourage you not to miss tonight's service because we will really uh, be challenged by the message that will be part two of what you hear this morning. James chapter 2. Our focus is verse 14. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Pray with me. Lord, the word is clear, but now impact it to our hearts, not just our minds. Lord, we, we have heard with our ears, but give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say within our heart so that this seed of your word could be planted in the good soil of our soul and bring forth an active faith, a faith that is useful, a faith that will have a global and local impact in Jesus' name. And everyone said, over the last few weeks, we have seen the life of Joseph through the book of James. The life of Joseph is a very intriguing life to study. We know that God gave him a dream. As a result of the dream, his brothers threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery. He ends up at Potiphar's house. From Potiphar's house, he is falsely accused. From there, he goes to prison, and then ultimately, he is promoted to be second in command of all the nation, which traces back to the dream that God gave him. We see in the rhythm and seasons of his life that he had both positive and negative. James chapter 1 tells us that if we don't properly deal with trouble and temptation, we then can't live out the truth that is spoken over our lives. I contend by the word of God that over every one of you, there is a promise and it is the, the prophecy of God's preferred future for you. And that promise gives you a future and a hope. And it's out of that promise that you keep your focus and you live the life for which you were created to live. So that when we stand before God and when you stand before God, you give an account for this one and only life and you hear the words, well done. Now how we navigate the seasons of life will have everything to do with our preparedness for those moments in life. I believe that God brought Joseph to a strategic moment 
when he reached this place in his life. A moment where the world was at its worst. Famine had struck and, and the nation was under this severe oppression, lack of food, people were dying. And with the world at its worst, Joseph needed to be at his best so that the mercy of God and the plan of God could be expressed through him. With the world at its worst in our present day, God needs his people, his church, to be at their best. We are not to be mediocre in our passion for him. We are not to be held captive by bitterness or brokenness that's a result of uncertain seasons, difficult seasons, the troubles and trials of life. Because they have been managed under the sovereignty of God, we reach a place where even our trouble and our trials have been used as part of God's work to manufacture a faith that is not dead in the moment where mercy needs to be expressed, but faith that is fully alive and at its most useful place. I see Joseph going through these seasons of his life, coming to a place where if the devil had had his way, when God needed him at his best, he would have been at his worst. Buried in bitterness and pain with a passion for revenge. So that when his family and the world called on him to serve, he would have withheld the mercy. He would have withheld the plan that was locked and contained within his spirit. The vision that God had given him would have not been realized. Potential would have not been maximized because his faith would have been killed. The enemy, by the experiences of your life and mine, would love for us to be bitter and broken so that at this moment, and hear that word, at this moment, our moment, we would not be at our best. We would not be able to release the rivers of mercy that I believe are contained within us because we're hurt over past experiences. I pray that you have managed the past under the mercy of God under the sovereignty of God. And because he is Jehovah frugal, meaning he never wastes an experience, you can take the different situations of life as ingredients and putting all of those ingredients together, God now has brought you, has brought me, has brought us to a moment so that mercy could flow and a difference could be made. I believe that your past and I don't mean just the last six months or 12 months, I, I believe your life and my life by the sovereignty of God has intersected. We are not here for just an existence. God has brought us here. God has brought you here, has brought these people sitting right by you and all the way across the room. He's brought us for such a time as this. This is our moment. And the world is needing the church to be at its most merciful expression of the grace and the power of God because the world is in deep, dire need. There is a famine of the word of God. There is a famine of the power of God. And we must step up and let the power of God, in other words, turn God loose in and through your life to a community and a world that needs God. So at the time where the world needs us, our faith is alive. Our faith is useful. Let's walk through what we read in James. 
so I, I say to you, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your good deeds, then can that faith save anyone? Do you hear that God is connecting what happens in the heart with what happens in our life? You can never separate the two. That faith, true faith, will lead to a fruitful impact made in the world around us. You cannot separate them. That fruit of, of spiritual impact is the evidence of faith in our heart. Doing good works is not necessary to be saved. But doing good works is evidence that we are saved. That's what James is saying. And James went on to say in verse 17 and in verse 20 that if that doesn't happen, then our faith is dead. That's one description. Here's another. Our faith is useless. You can't separate it. That mercy is, these acts of mercy are not necessary to be saved. We're saved by grace through faith, right? However, these acts of mercy would be a natural overflow that we have been saved. They would, I would also say, be a necessary evidence that we are saved. Please hear the words of James. I think they're so appropriate for right now in the American church where we are tempted and we may have learned how to go to church, how to sit in church and hear messages and yet go out and do nothing with it. An inactive faith. That is not the plan of God. That is not the purpose of God. And James is very direct. He says to not express the mercy of God is to have a faith that is dead and useless. When Joseph came to this moment, the reason we know that his faith was useful is by his expression of mercy to his brother's and to his world. The way that this community will know that we are Christians is by our good works, the expression of mercy to those who are in need. Amen? And then James says, now let's use an illustration. Suppose someone knocks on your door, they are needing food and they're needing clothing, and you say, uh, go your way, and be well fed, and God bless you. And the actual context of James 2 is that of a priest, that of a minister who would stand at the back door of the church after having had a church service, and then someone is leaving the church and says to the pastor, I have a need, and it's obvious they have a need. And the pastor would say, hey, God bless you. Hope it works out. Uh, go your way and be well. Who would do that, James says? For that is faith that is useless. That is faith that is dead. Joseph has this moment. Through all of these experiences, he comes to this moment where the world is in need and his brothers, those who put him in the pit and started the process of rejection and devastation, those very brothers come to him. And what James is saying is how Joseph treated his brothers shows us he really had faith in God. Not faith to believe God for something, but that he had a relationship with God. Here's what James is saying. The way we know that Joseph knew God is known by how he treated his brothers. You and I, most everyone in this room, 
has been born in a context where we have the gospel. That's mercy. Because there are one billion people in the world right now who do not have the gospel. Mercy has been shown to us compared to the to billions of people in this world, we are blessed. Abundant mercy has been shown. Now, take it out of the from the context of just being born in America or born in a context where you did have the gospel to the point that you accepted Christ as your Savior. And mercy has flooded your life. And what James is saying, that it is not stories of need and statistics that would grab your heart to where you're moved in guilt to respond. But because of the mercy of God that has been shown to us, shown to you, shown to me, that there would be a release of that mercy to those around me. And the release of that mercy to those around me give evidence that I really understand the mercy shown to me. For to have received the grace of God and have a closed heart to the need around me is to have a faith that is dead. Would you turn in your Bibles to Matthew 25? I would like for you to see what Jesus said. Matthew 25. If you you want a litmus test of what what it's going to be like at judgment, we are given a great example in Matthew 25, starting at verse 31. Thank you for turning in your Bibles and listen to these words and let them sink deep in in your thinking. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence And he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, notice this next phrase, Come you who are blessed by my father. That is the saved, those who have been flooded with the mercy of God. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. That's Ephesians that talks about how God set in motion a plan to make a difference in our lives. It's phenomenal. Verse 35. For I was hungry. Notice the personal pronouns as we read. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. We just read exactly what James has said in chapter 2. In that verse, verse 36, I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. James says, suppose a person knocks on your door. In the Greek, it's the exact same wording. Continue with me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, well, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing when did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you and the king will say I tell you the truth when you did it to one of the least of these my brothers and sisters you were doing it to me well then the king will turn to those on his left and say away with you you cursed ones into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons for I was hungry and you didn't feed me. He goes through the whole 
list and then those on the left will say but Lord when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you and he will answer I tell you the truth when you refuse to help the least of these my brothers and sisters you were refusing to help me what I see in the life of Joseph and the teaching of James is that when Joseph came to this moment and his brothers came to him in need Joseph understood he wasn't just giving to his brothers he was giving to God and when you realize you're giving to God it puts all of the past experiences into context see it's not just a child that's starving across the world somewhere it's Jesus it's not just someone at one of our local mission agencies that are trying to serve the poor it's Jesus that's what I want us to see from the book of James that when we are motivated it's not out of guilt because someone's hungry and I'm not someone needs water and I have water so they should have water it's to say no to that is to say no to Jesus now here's what James is saying suppose Jesus came knocking on your door and Jesus is standing there in need and you know it's Jesus who having a relationship with Jesus meaning this is the one who died and, and gave his life that you might be saved and now he's there knocking at your door and you would say to him hope it works out and do nothing none of us would do that and James is trying to say but when we turn from the poor the impoverished the needy of our community in our world we are shutting the door on Christ now why do I, I preach it the way James does not so that guilt sets in no that's not James intent the whole book is about active faith this is not to raise guilt levels this is to arouse faith because when faith is aroused fruit will follow when faith is alive we become useful we do good deeds and sacrifice is not an issue because we realize we're doing this to Christ for Christ and the only reason I'm positioned to help is because he has helped me freely I have received freely I would give so then James says let's consider an imaginary person because we like to do this in the church we, we would like to say this person over here has good deeds but this person over here has faith you know they just aren't wired up like this person this person's just naturally looking for a way to help people and this person is is not wired up that way and so you just can't you can't judge everybody the same there are some who are like this and then some who are more like this but this one has faith and so does this one and James says no you can never disconnect it And they go, but, but this person believes. And now watch how direct James becomes. He says, okay, they believe. Look at his illustration. Even the demons believe. Demons believe in God. Demons believe in the existence and the deity of Christ. Demons believe in heaven. Demons believe in hell. Demons believe. 
but they don't serve the needs of the world. They will not change their heart. Now watch this. In the event that people would say, well, these people over here, they're just more emotional and they're touched by when the pastor says there are people needing water, there are people across town that are homeless and need someone to step in and help, and they're just e emotionally driven. He says, even the demons tremble. So it's not about intellectual assent that I believe that determines faith, and it's not this emotional reaction that determines faith. What he's saying is it's willful obedience. Now here's something that helps me. This level of Joseph's life where he is to help his brothers, his moment, that was not easy. It wasn't going to be enough for him to have an, a mental ascent that God was Jehovah. It was not enough for him to feel in his heart because what his brothers had done to him would cause anyone to withdraw and withhold provision. At that moment, it is willful action on behalf of Joseph to let the mercy flow. There are times like these, right here in this country, where we're at one of our most unique and needy times. There are many of you in this room you're facing some challenges like you've not faced in years, and I don't want to come across as insensitive. I am saying that there are times in the journey where we're going to have to be willful because all that we believe won't activate us, and we're not even in a place where we can be moved in our emotions. It's just going to be, God showed mercy to me. I'm going to show mercy to people. Willful. That is the context of James chapter 2. So now let me invite you in to what's been going on in my heart. I need, I need a few more minutes, and I, I pray that this comes across in an anointed way. I'm traveling down the streets of this community, and I am seeing opportunity and need. I am sensing in my heart that we have come to a moment we're going to have an opportunity to make a tremendous impact in this community. We've come to a moment. While at the same time, I see and I sense incredible, urgent need around the world. And I'm caught in this dilemma to where my mind wants to say it's going to be one or the other. I look at the need of the world where there's 26,000 children that die every single day from malnutrition or preventable diseases. And that breaks my heart. If that amount of people on the average airplane crashed, that would be 100 planes crashing in a day. That would be headline news. That would force hearings of Congress and there would be studies done and we've got to do something. There would be such a reaction to that and yet 26,000 die every day and, and it seems to be life as usual. How could we not focus everything that we are and everything that we have to try and, and curve that back while on the other side, right here in this community, we have every, every ministry, children, youth, 
young adults, adults, and senior adults. Every ministry of the church is growing. And with the growth comes need and opportunity to continue to touch hearts, to continue to touch lives. So how can we not sow into that for harvest? On the one side, the global side, we have 77 missionaries that we as a church support. Touching this world, but we haven't increased our support to them in years. And the economy has changed and they need more. How can we not express the mercy of God to that? While right here locally, we have about a $7.8 million debt. And that is an urgent need as it relates to where God is taking us in our future. And if we don't deal with that and confront that and step up to it, it could limit what God is wanting to do in our moment. On this one side of the global impact, we have projects that we want to do around the world. While on this other side, there are community organizations that are housing the homeless, feeding the hungry, helping children with, with very special limitations. And they are all desperate for people to serve and dollars to help them do what they're commissioned to do. How can we not give all that we are? And I'm driving down the road and I, I, I've got this dilemma of global, local. And that's where the vehicle comes in. I start seeing whether it's a Jeep, a Hummer, an FJ Cruiser like on the platform. And the Lord makes it real to me that what he wants to give us here at the assembly is an all-terrain vision. And something exploded in my heart that we don't have to be about one or the other. You see, in this community, you'll see a vehicle like this come tonight as I really go into the details of this influence on my life. But if you go to a foreign country, you will see a vehicle similar to this that are taking provision and ministry to remote areas where people need the gospel. People need food, people need water. And the Lord started showing me global, local, that there is enough mercy of God contained within this church to not have to be one or the other. But there is enough mercy that's been shown to us that now contained in us to be released is enough mercy to touch both globally and locally. Now when that went off in my spirit, I called a meeting with our deacons and I said, I want us to join in prayer because something's stirring deep in my soul. Called a meeting with the pastors and we started dreaming. And, and let me show you a phrase on the screen. This is a quote that we prayed through. The light that shines the farthest shines the brightest at home. See, if we say, Pastor, we're so blessed. I mean, how much more do we need here? We should give everything to the needs of the world. However, if we don't continue to shine brightly here, it will limit our ability to shine far. We have a community here that needs Jesus. 
I know we have Bible bookstores, and it, it, it seems like we have a very, a very uh, influenced community. But I'm telling you, there are people here who need Jesus. And if we don't shine brightly at home, then it will limit our ability to shine far to those people groups who don't even have the gospel. Oh. So it stirred in me. And then this verse, it's part of a verse. Look at this is what Jesus said. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I couldn't get away from it. And the Lord started showing me that in our moment, we have missionaries we have projects we have this global need we have this local need where we have growing ministry long-term debt and community organizations that need our love and our support and to love our neighbor as ourself, the Holy Spirit said, here's your moment. It's a 50-50. And for every dollar we could raise above the tithe, we will then take it and every dollar that we would spend on us, we'll spend a dollar on the world. Every dollar that we would invest in growing ministry here, right on the principle of long-term debt or community organization, we'll spend a dollar to support missionaries, projects that are putting in water wells and food programs and salvaging children that are dying from preventable diseases, we'll spend a dollar on the world. Now, imagine if we could raise above the tithe $60,000 a month, which I strongly believe we could do. That would put 30,000 in the world. Right now as a church, we invest $11,000 a month in missions globally. We can do so much more. And $60,000 a month, we'll move this to thirty dollars or $40,000 a month that we're putting into the needs of the global vision. While at the same time, we would have 30000 a portion to attack long-term debt, a portion to invest in growing ministry, a portion to put into these community organizations that are touching and changing lives. Global, local. For there is enough mercy shown to us, therefore there's enough mercy to pour through us to not be one or the other, but to love our neighbor as we continue to invest in our own community. Let me show you a few statements on the screen. Number one, an established timeline. For one year, I'm calling you to a global, local commitment for 2010, an established timeline, one year. What will we do this time next year? God will show us. One year. Here's the next statement. Every possible dollar above the tithe that we can raise to invest in urgent spiritual need. Number three. Every person in this church. The children will get involved. They have these little barrels that they put money in for BGMC. It's going to become a Jeep. Little banks that we're going to give to every child. Our youth support Speed the Light, which puts vehicles 
in the hands of missionaries so that they can get where they need to go in order to give the gospel. We will come alongside of them and wouldn't it be awesome if we could match what they raise and that our youth ministry could be responsible for purchasing a vehicle, not a portion of the money for a vehicle, but purchase the entire vehicle and put the keys in the hand of one of our supported missionaries who right now doesn't have transportation. Our young adults, you as the adults and senior adults, we all will get involved one year and establish timeline. Every possible dollar. We're in the budget process right now. And I'm asking God, God, show us, show us, give us wisdom. Reveal to us so that every possible dollar can be invested. Every person in this church, and I want to tell you, we will maximize the moment of loving God by loving our neighbor as ourself. Who knows the need, the miracles that can happen? GL 2010, an opportunity to make a huge impact. How could we be at our best with the world at its worst? By in this time of such challenge, become the most merciful, not because we've finally been heaped on with such guilt that we are just like, until we gotta start giving or the pastor won't shut up. He's going to hammer us. Let's just go ahead and relent now. And then he'll preach on like love or something. And (laughs) the joy of the Lord. No, no, not, not. But I'm trying to arouse faith. Because I know when faith is aroused, fruit follows. And that's what will force me back into my home with my family saying, okay, family meeting. How can the Woods family salvage every possible dollar for the global local initiative of 2010 and all terrain vision? It's what will cause you to get back into your home and say, now let's evaluate our Christianity. Are we religious or are we very alive in our faith, evidenced by our good deeds? I'm going to ask you to pray and seek the face of God over the next few weeks. And on December 6th, I'm going to ask you to express your heart on a pledge form that would activate in January. Next week, we will talk in detail about this once again. Several things that will be used to help clarify this initiative. But I want to leave you with this thought. We often think about the loss of our world, the loss of our community. But as I read Luke 15, they're not the lost, they are the sought. Because what you see is the shepherd seeking the one lost lamb. What you see is the lady turning the house upside down, seeking that which was lost. It was the sought. We could see the heart of God today as expressed in this message and the word of the Lord is that Jesus is seeking those children that are hungry and dying. Seeking after the one billion that have never 
had the gospel. One billion people. Those six rooms that I saw this past week at one of our local community outreaches that house homeless people, those people that are in those rooms because their life has been wrecked, they are the salt. They're the ones that Jesus is after. The people right across the street are the salt. The ones Jesus is after. People. It's not enough just to give a a few dollars so that some missionaries can go do their thing. We've got to feel this in our heart so that we shine and we shine. We are Jesus with skin on. And so we must be found going after those that need him. We don't live in foreign countries. We live here so we go to our neighborhood. You see, sometimes the 26,000 around the world that are starving and dying, that has an aura about it. It it seems to grip our heart. But how about our neighbor? Who, if the rapture happened today, would be lost in eternity without Christ. And perhaps we could see it that we're most equipped to reach our neighbor. This is where we live. We understand the culture. We can speak the language. And so we don't want to reach across the world and forget those right next door. But if we'll shine brightly here, we can shine far. This is our moment. And if he's everything, if God is everything, everything, if he's everything to me, then he can have everything with joy.